AT&T Threat Track is a roundtable discussion of the latest network security trends and news conducted by AT&T data security analysts. Complete video of this show is available at techchannel.att.com. So John, some interesting malware with the Telegram Messenger came out this week. You have a story on that? Yeah, so uh, there was a blog posting article uh, put out about the Telegram Messenger. The real story is that a vulnerability was detected in, or kind of an exploit in the Windows client of Telegram. We've actually seen it. It's an old trick, probably from like three, four years ago, maybe even longer. It's hard for me to keep track of it all. Uh, that was really popular in email attachments for a while. In the old days, you get an email attachment and the attachment would have something like a file name of 12exe.com. Uh, RF or something like that. But what they really did is the exe.rf is actually reversed. Right. So some languages you'd read from the reverse direction. Arabic is one of those languages that supports that. Um, but you can actually do it midstream in a string. So you can have a string of text and somewhere right in the middle you could say flip this around. But the file really on disk is the, the right, right way. So you can make an executable that ends in .exe and then kind of you know, flip around just the bits around the, the trailing dot there so it looks like it ends in some other uh, extension when you look at it on the screen. Danger to users is that you know, this is possibility to click on something that you think is harmless, but really you know, there's you know, a malicious file type and all the systems detections and you know, the security tools, they still think it's that you know, PNG or PDF or well, they may or may not. I'm not quite sure, you know, uh, an antivirus or other tools might be smart enough to know that and say something. So, you know, a typical tactic and one of the ones they gave is they made an extension that looks like it ends in .png, but right. it really ends in .js. They just rotated right, those around. SJ.png. Right, it was so. SJ. Yeah, GNP or something like that, right? Oh, and yeah. they flicked it. Right. Keys, too. I mean, when it goes to run it, it actually prompts you, do you want to run this? You're thinking, well, why am I running a, a, a GIF or a JPEG? If you do click on something and you get unexpected behavior, so I click on a, a PNG, which is an image file, if I get a window that says, do you want to run this file? Well, you know, why am I running a PNG? Or, why am I executing a PDF? If you're not careful when you look at it, you'll see it on your screen, but it won't really necessarily show it to you in reverse, depending on how your Windows is set up. So it might look like you're going to open a PNG, but like John said, it's saying, do you really want to execute this? Yeah. But still, a lot of people might not even you know, catch wind of that, and they'll say, yeah. It's just an image. It's OK. Or you're just so used to clicking OK because you have, you know, certificate errors and things that you're used to just ignoring, right? Right. The real thing here to me is that they're purporting to be a relatively safe file type right. when they're not in reality. So they're pretending to be a .png image, but in reality it's a JavaScript or an executable or something of that nature that really is going to run. Telegram has since fixed this problem, so it's not there anymore, which is good. So if you update your Windows client, you should be okay. It's actually a really good write-up that they did because they they found that it was being used primarily by Russian cybercrime criminals. Beyond the tactic itself, they also gave some practical examples of some real malware. So it was kind of interesting uh, to see how they did their analysis there. The machine knows that it's an executable and not an image, 
And it's kind of telling you, I'm going to execute this as opposed to just opening it in some kind of viewer. That should be kind of a warning sign. But a lot of people, unless they're really paying attention, might not notice that. So it is one of those kind of tricky things you really need to be aware of um, when you're opening attachments. A user should ask themselves, why am I running this file? Is this a runnable? Is this an executable? It shouldn't be. So, you know, kind of common sense, but just, you know, being focused on what you're doing on your machine. Hey, John, uh, it sounds like you were looking into some fixes for an Apple bug related to text messaging. Yeah, John, I, it certainly was. The, the interesting thing is, you know, we, we keep running into situations where rendering foreign language characters uh, has some, some, you know, some effects on the thing. And I, I use the word effects in that regard because, remember, a couple of years ago, there was an attack called Effective Power where the kids were sending uh, a little Arabic character to each other, and it would knock down messages. It's a you know a text issue where a certain character could be sent on a mobile machine, and it can crash your phone. You know we don't see a lot of vectors with mobile with you know text messaging. And, and this time it's a, it's an Indian character in the, in the language Telugu, which uh, does the same type of thing. It puts the the messages app, and really anything that renders uh, through WebKit or or some of the other you know mechanisms puts them into basically an, an unusable state. It's, you know, a buffer overflow type attack. It's a problem and a challenge sometimes when you're rendering these, these foreign languages that are very complex. I think, you know, that how do you address that, you know, in a, in a device or a system that was not intended for, for that kind of character uh, set. Apple has patched it. They have, they did release uh, uh, Apple iOS 11.2.6. And uh, so the, if any kids are still out there texting each other with this kind of this, this trick, those devices that are updated are not susceptible to that any longer. So John, I remember last time we were on the show together, we talked about how some Apple devices can no longer receive patches because of the change in the operating system. Would those devices still be vulnerable to this? In this case, it is all the supported versions did receive this update. But if you're running uh, like an Apple uh, 4 or a 3G or any of those older devices, you, you, you may be susceptible to this, but nobody's really coming forward and saying, you know, I've tested it, I've re you know, uh, re reproduced it on there, and you're certainly not going to get a fit. Well, I have an old iPad that's <laughs> end of life or whatever that doesn't oh, get I, patches Oh, I have anymore. a text message to send you. Yeah, you're going to send me one later? <laughs> it's in a different language. You might not. <laughs> I have an iPad too, and, and and I have the same challenge. You know, it's not supported, and I keep thinking, okay, what can they do to me that I don't necessarily know? You know, I mean, in, in this case, you just you can reboot the device. You, there's a couple other tricks to get around the problem, but it's not going to be as simple as you know, just you know, restarting. It's not essentially harmless because it does crash your machine, and I think it's fairly complex to recover. You have to sort of fill up your screen so that the character doesn't show. Is it just uh, just a matter of it does like a denial of service where if you reboot your phone, you're back to normal again? In a lot of cases, probably the best bet is to have whoever sent you or, or, or have somebody who sent you that thing or another person send you a whole bunch of text messages so it kind of scrolls off of the screen. And this is not the first um, text message no. type bug like this. I remember there was another one a little while back. I don't remember how far back. Yeah, the effect, effective power was what they called it. It was I was actually sitting in a, a baseball game at a, a professional uh, baseball here in St. Louis and, and the... Uh, <laughs> the kids were doing it all around me. I was in like a school setting, 
and it's it was uh, it was kind of fun to see it, you know, in in real life, you know, occurring that you know the kids were attacking each other. Mm, that's, that's great. great. <laughs> <laughs> I'm being a little facetious, but it is a little bit of a catch twenty two for me. I think in a safe environment, it's good to test this kind of stuff because that's how we learn about it, right? But doing it as a prank to somebody who doesn't know that this is gonna be happening to them is not a good thing. It could be at a very inopportune time. Maybe something urgent's going on with that person. So Joe, I hear you have a story about for us about a, a new uh, Mirai variant. Right, yeah, so they're calling it the OMG Mirai botnet variant. Some folks from Fortinet put out a blog post kind of deconstructing a Mirai variant the basic differentiator here is that it's, uh, it opens a proxy. So it, it basically is component for component, the Mirai botnet with all the same capabilities that Mirai has, but it opens a couple ports to open a proxy and then it sets up a three proxy instance, which is a freeware proxy. So, you know, the, the kind of trend of this, this story and this blog post is that We've been seeing uh, variants of Mirai for months and months and months. Folks are trying to monetize the Mirai botnet, which is interesting because that's not really why Mirai came out. When we first saw Mirai, you know, over a year ago, it was really a DDoS, you know, take down Krebs, take down Dyn DNS. This one, you know, tries to sell access to the proxy. You know, we've been seeing mm -hmm. botnets trying to do cryptocurrency mining. It's just sort of more along that trend of, you know, yeah, the botnet code is out there. You know, how do I change it a little bit so that, I, you know, I can make money, not just, you know, the, the initial DDoS brute force kind of power of these botnets. So, John, I think you said you've done some research on this one. I was looking at it this morning. Um, I guess one of the first things I was going to say is proxy-based botnets seems to be a little bit of a trend lately. Yeah. Uh, we've been seeing a, a lot of those in the IoT space, like when they take these IoT devices over, they're turning them into proxy nodes as part of a larger proxy botnet fabric that they resell to other bad actors in the underground. The other thing that I was looking at today is, at least from the domain, the command and control domain that I saw reported that story, it has been sinkholed. Okay. They kind of like kicked the legs out from underneath it. Like we've talked about on the show before, these IoT devices, people put them out there, they don't put passwords on, and all these ones that did get infected in the first round probably never knew that they were infected. And when the bad guy comes around again with a new version of his malware, they're still not gonna know that. So somebody can go right back in there and deploy a new version of the malware yeah. with a different domain name for the command and control and you know, spin it up again. So I would not be surprised to see that happen. The, the problem I find with these IoT devices that we've talked about ad nauseum right. is that there's no antivirus. They get deployed a lot of times with default passwords. So the owners have no idea that it's been compromised probably multiple times throughout its life. Right. And the owner of the thing has no idea of this, uh, you know. You know and, they, and, they don't, and they don't update them ever. You know, there's no, there's no patching. <laughs> right, they just deploy it. And if it continues to work, then they're happy. So Joe, you were doing, you said it was doing cryptocurrency mining, I guess when it was active, was it Monero or was it Bitcoin or do we really know? I think the more the point of this one is to sell access to the proxy. And correct me if I'm wrong, John, but the idea being if you have a botnet that has a proxy, you can be a little bit more anonymous with it, right? Right. You can use it as part of your kind of back office infrastructure, so right. to speak, or your botnet infrastructure to obfuscate where the operator is really coming from. Yeah. A lot of them use the proxy stuff for click fraud activity. 
um, in order to get like advertising revenue, things like that. So they'll, they'll take those proxy bots and they'll run a bunch of commands through them and say, go visit these websites. And since it's a whole bunch of these different devices to Google or whoever is the advertising, it looks like different hits to them trying to visit it. And they get you know advertising revenue based on that uh, if they can get enough hits over time. Right. But there's other things. They do all kinds of, I've seen on these, some of these proxy botnets, they do all kinds of shenanigans through there. Um, so because they do rent it out to other people, uh, usually bad actors in the underground. I saw a story, I think a couple, maybe a week ago that said that some of those SETI, you know, the search for extraterrestrial, all those apps that are running doing that are now getting supplanted by the, the, the cryptocurrency mining because it's so much easier and so much more profitable. Hmm. So we're never, we're never going to find the extraterrestrials. <laughs> no, <laughs> not unless they use Bitcoin. Try to see if your device is exposing any services to the internet. What I like to do is use Shodan and see what they think about you if they've seen that you have certain ports and services open. Most importantly, never, ever, ever leave a device that has some kind of default password with that default password. So as soon as you get a device, a new one, make sure that you change that default password to something different. Did you bring us a quiz this week? I did. I haven't had a quiz in a, I the last couple of times I've been here, so I actually have a quiz this week. Oh boy. <laughs> so, your, uh, your, your quiz this week is actually, I was in a call, and, and, and what sparked this was I, was I was on a call and somebody used the word scan. And I got to thinking, you know, there's a lot of terms that we use like application and scan and vulnerability that sometimes depending upon context and, and the person don't quite, you know, jive, you know, that you, you, everybody has a little bit of different uh, opinion. So I thought, well, I'm going to create a quiz about vulnerability scanning. So the, the question here is, it's fairly easy, is which of the following scan types and remote scanning will find you are vulnerable? Inventory, port, passive, authenticated, and application. I'm going to say yes to every single one. <laughs> but I mean, so inventory, if we're talking about software inventory, I can tell you whether you're running a version of software that's out of date that I could run exploit against, right? Am I wrong? <laughs> no, yeah. No, well, and see, that's where it gets, to, it gets to be the tricky part of this is that when you think about it, and, and it's not necessarily a tricky quiz, but it is something to think, you know, contemplate. It, an inventory scan tells you that you have this device with this software. It doesn't necessarily tell you you're vulnerable. So you have to infer that if you're running on an older version of the software, you are vulnerable. But what it doesn't tell you that maybe you have another control in place. Well, that's true. Okay. Right. Right, I could have some firewall or something in place. That's you could have a firewall, yeah, you could say, hey, I'm running a Windows, you know, Windows uh, NT server. So we know it's invulnerable to a bunch of stuff, but it may actually, that scan won't necessarily tell you other than that it's just that type of device. Okay. All right. The one that jumps out to me is authenticated scan, because that's usually the one where the scan actually gets in, is able to log into your box and almost act like a user on your machine, and that way you can see where the vulnerabilities really would be. Well, that again, be it depends if, if on your test a, suite. If this is a one one answer quiz, that would be my answer, because that's the most definitive. Is there only one yes answer? <laughs> there's, there's actually two. Oh, no. <laughs> so I got mine. You get to pick one. <laughs> OK. You got port, inventory. What was the others? Passive and application. Passive and application. 
Well, I'm assuming port, is that like a network port scan? Correct, that's, that's the intent there, yeah. All right, well, if it's only testing if the port's yeah. open, I'm gonna say no. no, it doesn't tell you necessarily that it's vulnerable. But if it interacts with it, then I would say yes. Yeah. And again, like John was saying, it depends on what context you define as vulnerable. scan. And you're on the right path. When you think about scanning and vulnerability, the only way that you can really tell that something is vulnerable is to try to exploit it. Right. And so if you're just doing an inventory or that port's open or it's running Windows or it's you know, it answered an HTTP query, that's not really telling you that it's vulnerable. It just tells you that it's there. <laughs> so what uh, What were the other categories? So port, passive, and inventory, I think. And maybe was there in, in inventory, port, passive, authenticated, and application. So I'll say no to the passive scan. Then. So application? And I application, think. I guess, is probably the other true one, because I think so, we only had. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll go with authenticated and application, final answer. Yeah, that's right. You guys got it right. And, and, and it's, a, it's a good discussion. It's just, again, it's, right it's, we, we've demonstrated here that there's a lot of context based upon how you define some of these terms. And, and like I said, even the word scanning can be real, real challenging. All right. Well, thanks, John. Great quiz. Yeah. Great discussion. I think we, uh, we nailed it. <laughs> I don't know if we nailed it, but it was a good discussion because I think it um, it demonstrated everybody has a slightly different perspective of what scan means. So context is really important. So. Thanks. Exactly. All right. Thanks, John. All right, Joe, so I thought we'd take a look at the internet weather for this week. This 1911 TCP, you would probably think, oh my God, it jumped 647 positions from the previous week. It's really not that big of a deal. First of all, 1911 TCP is the Tritium Niagara Fox uh, protocol, which is a building automation industrial control system type protocol. The majority of the activity we see on this is coming from good guys. The reason it jumps so high here is because when we do our program, it actually falls kind of on a day when they happen to scan more oh, okay. versus, so they kind of have a sliding window. Every once in a while it jumps in because they do all their scanning on a Monday. It's really that. a cyclical kind of thing. Yeah, it's very cyclical. There is scanning going on on the internet that's not malicious. There's you know, folks doing research, folks kind of understanding the internet. We call them good guys or white hat activity. So that, that was interesting. The first one that I kind of highlighted is 5431 TCP. Some of these other ones we talk about all the time. Telnet, it's nothing, been a problem forever, so yeah, we've talked about better. it enough. Right. 445 TCP, WannaCry related right. stuff, we all know about it. So 5431 TCP is interesting to me, and 5555 TCP is interesting. We're going to, have to go take a closer look at that. The first one that's really interesting to me, I don't really have a full answer yet, mm -hmm. 5431 TCP, and this is a 90-day picture. So prior to like, uh, not that far back, so middle of February here, we didn't really see a lot of scanning. The weird thing about this is it's very spiky. So they're yeah. scanning and, it's, and it stops again really quickly. But the volume of scan sources is 90,000. That's a lot. Yeah. That's a lot of devices to all of a sudden start scanning and then stop. Normally they start and they kind of like, you see this kind of waveform and you'll see a decay pattern. This is kind of weird. I don't know what to make of it yet. But when I looked at these scan sources, lots of them are in the US and India. It's probably or possibly related to a Broadcom a universal plug and play format string exploit. This is my guess as to why people are scanning on this. I think there's probably some botnet forming from these devices that seem to be scanning on that. When I looked at the scan sources, 
A lot of them look like some sort of embedded routers. It has this micro HTTPD web server that announces itself as broadband routers. So you can see here, this is just a sample. When I looked at a bunch of these scan sources, I could see uh, in Shodan that a lot of them are listening on port 80 and they have this service running. I don't know exactly what it is, but some sort of probably home router web interface. Micro HTTPD is a very common uh, web server. It's a very tight, small web server that a lot of people use. Our geographic picture can kind of show there is a lot of density in the US of this. Yeah. And there's a lot of density in India. And then there's kind of scatterings around other places. This one, port 5555 TCP, this is actually related to Android devices that have the developer debug console open. That's what that is, mm. that port is for. Somebody figured this out, that you can connect to it and take over these Android devices if they have that port open. So they've scooped up a bunch of these. This has a really nice like uh, recruitment yeah. wave here. I've never seen something so smooth as the way it actually recruited all these devices. Again, it's around six to 7,000 devices. So, and it's kind of come down to maybe, what is this, around four and a half thousand, yeah. four thousand. What they've been doing with these ones is they uh, compromise the device and they install some malware that starts doing Monero mining. And it does affect phones, but there's also a lot of Android IoT based devices out there. So there's tons of IoT little appliances, routers network test storage, all kinds of other little gadgets that run Android as their base operating system. Sure. Do you think if we combined all the scanning for different cryptocurrencies, it would compare to like those top three that we looked at in the charts? Or? That's an interesting idea. We should probably try to do something like that at some point. Because yeah. cryptocurrency, as we've talked about, is very popular yeah. in terms of what they're leveraging the botnets for lately. And the last one I wanted to point out, which is actually not on the top 10, but is important. We started to see reflective denial of service attacks using this port 11211 UDP, which is memcached. And memcached is this, it's basically like a distributed RAM across devices, and it's for caching database results, and it lets you speed up websites that are very database-centric. So there's probably about 90,000 or so of these exposed on the internet. There's some bad actors out there just recently discovered it within the past five days here to use this as a reflective uh, attack vector. And it has really large amplification. So I can send like one really small packet. It'll send 10,000 packets back to the victim. In this case, the amplification is really through the roof. Wow. Because what happens is you can make a very small query and it like can dump a big state table back to you. So they're getting, they're seeing like 10,000 to 51,000 times amplification wow. for a small packet. And that's what you really want if you're a bad guy and you're using these things for reflection. The bigger the amplification, the less work I have to do to send a small packet because I get a really big payoff going back to my target victim. If I went back even further, you wouldn't see any activity here. There's a little tiny yeah. little blip here, which is probably worth a little bit more analysis to see who was that tiny little blip. Yeah. But we started to see some attacks going on. And this one is around 55 gigabits, 130 gigabits. So this is something to pay attention to. Cloudflare actually today just put out an article about this, a blog posting. Memcached, when I looked it up in Shodan, it shows 103,000, but only 93,000 or so are actually memcached, according to what it says here. Yeah. 
So, but still, 90,000 is you know, significant, especially with that amplification factor. This is going to be a, a pretty important one in the upcoming days for people to keep an eye on because I have a feeling it's going to get abused by more people. And that's all I really had for this week. I always kind of think it's cool when we see scanning before anyone really knows what it is attributed to. Uh, you know, we're kind of looking at the network before there's a news story, before there's a named botnet, before there's a, a device that announces a vulnerability. So, you know, we're seeing this in the network and probably we'll see some more information about what it really is uh, coming down the road. The views expressed on AT&T ThreatTrack are those of the participants and do not necessarily represent the views of AT&T or any other person or entity.